That was excellent. Thank you, John. Well, good morning, everyone. How are y'all today? Blessed. That's a good answer. I like that one. We're a little bit thin, but we'll make up for it in spirit, won't we? So today we are going to look at one of the smallest books in the Old Testament. So if you will, turn to the book of Haggai. If you're struggling to find it's in between Zephaniah and Zechariah, if you still don't know what I said, turn to the book of Matthew and turn back just a couple of pages, and then you should be there. Uh, But it's only two chapters long, um, and and it falls in an interesting time of Israel's history. So if you've studied the kind of the the text and the the life of Israel, it kind of helps you to put into place these books and, and to figure out where we're at. And so from the biblical timeline, this lands after the exile. So the period when Israel was conquered by the Babylonians uh, and they were sent into exile. Hence the word exile. Uh, And then after a time of the Babylonian conquest of basically the known world, they were taken out by the Medes and the Persians. And then they get to return to the land. And so we're in this in-between time. So we've got a group of... Israelites that have settled back home, and their task was sent uh, to basically rebuild their temple and reestablish their capital so that they could worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So basically rebuild the temple so the presence of God could be felt again in their homeland and particularly in the capital of Jerusalem. So this time period takes place during that rebuilding period. Uh, but it's not perfect. And so as we look at the book, we will see that they hadn't quite done what they had set out to be. And, and let me paint what Israel looks like at this time or what Jerusalem looks like. So 70 years before this, the Babylonians came in and basically just wiped them out, tore down the walls, tore down the temple, raided it, took all of the gold, all of the silver, all the precious things out of this temple, and they took it back to Babylon. Well, they were sent back with this, but just imagine a land for 70 years laid desolate. It was rubble, and not only was it rubble, now weeds and thorns and thistles and everything had overgrown. And so this was not the type of land that you were just excited to go back to. And on top of that, the majority of the people who had returned never saw it the way it was before. There were a few people left in the land that had saw the glory, but the majority of the people now building houses only knew about this great place through the memories of others. And so they can't exactly picture what this should be. But they know that they were sent there. They were sent there. Um, under the edict of Cyrus to to go and to return and to build. They were sent with with, uh, resources to do it. And we can see how God's hand was at play because it was Israel's sin in the past that had led God to lift his hand of protection and to allow the Babylonians to conquer them in the first place. And we, we see that it is God's hand who allowed them to return. But they were returned to establish a place of worship. And so let's, let's start reading from our scripture together. We're going to look at this entire book today. But let's read a little bit and see what's going on when, when the people had found their land. 
so it says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shital. I'm not going to pronounce any of these right, so if you know how to pronounce them, just fill that in in your brain. Um, but it said, the governor of Judah, so basically the guy in charge that was put there uh, under the Persians. It says, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, Jehozadak. Anyways, he's the high priest. So we got the high priest and the governor of the land. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the, pro- the people, oh, sorry, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say, Time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. It is a time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lay in ruins. So the question is, you're going to live in a paneled house or build your paneled houses while the temple is ruined. It says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways, for you have sown much and harvested little. You have you ate, but never have enough. You drank, but were never, never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns a wage does so and puts them in a bag with holes. He says, consider this. He says, consider what's going on. You're working hard. You're showing little for it. Those who earn a wage, it just seems like there's holes in your pocket. And, you know, this is the the ESV version, but if you have another one, it says you drink, but you're never drunk. We have the more Baptist-inclined version. There was consequences for how they came back. And so in the past, we know in the Old Testament, the Lord spoke through different ways. He spoke through prophets. He spoke through the, the conditions of the land. He, he let the invaders come in have their way because of the sins of the people. They could have easily stood and called on the name of the Lord and came in obedience. And these things wouldn't have taken place because they were the children of God. And as children of God, they had everything at their disposal. They had the blessings of God. They had the sun come and the rain and all this. But we know because of the sins of the people, when they returned home, they first started to establish their own houses. It's important. They tried to establish their own houses, not the house of the Lord. And so when they returned home, their work went into rebuilding their fields, rebuilding their own dwellings, and they neglected the purpose that they had resettled in the land. And so we look at this chosen people, these people of Israel. We see that they weren't called out for any inherent reason other than being the children of God. So that they could receive the messages of God and that they could share these messages with the world. It says to the promise to Abram said, I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations. It is through these children that the world would be blessed. But yet time and time again, as we see through the history, that they would turn from their God to the gods of the land, to the gods of their own hand and try to do it their own way. This is something that we are still guilty of today. And so in the past, the Lord called out prophets like Haggai here to speak to the people and to call them to the place that they are supposed to be at. And so this people who had, because of God's hand, received mercy, they'd received mercy and were allowed to return home. 
They weren't completely obliterated. They weren't completely destroyed. But he allowed a remnant to remain and to come and to reestablish the line. This is the start of what we know in history as the Second Temple period. This is the period in which they come back and restore their fortunes. But we know that their nation as an entity is not what they had thought it would be. And it sets up the days of the Messiah. And so these people were tasked with a great purpose. They were to build the temple in which our Lord and Messiah would be revealed to the world. Think about that. When we can look back in hindsight, we can see the past clearer than we can in the present, can't we? We can look back and see, and I imagine you can look back over your own life. If you've lived longer than 10, 15 years, you can look back over your own life and you can see how the Lord's hand has been involved every step of the way. Now, you can remember those times clearly where the Lord was involved. But if you think back to that day when he had done something for you, you probably didn't notice him as clearly then, did you? Oh, there are times where our senses seem to be attuned to the work of the Spirit all around us. And we know that God's involved in the very presence. But most of the time, including myself, we only see God's hand in hindsight. We see how everything fell together like dominoes. You know, there's a story called Spiritual Dominoes. You can Google it. It's about uh, the lineage of um, Billy Graham. And you can trace it back through Mordecai Ham, through Billy Sunday, these great evangelists to the Sunday school teacher who was obedience to God's call, who taught a group of boys in Sunday school. Think about that. Raise your hand if you just feel the urge to go t teach a bunch of smart aleck boys about God. Most of us don't. But in that story, we see how this one man heard God's voice and he was obedient and he taught the word of the Lord. And it led into a chain uh, of events that led to one of the greatest evangelists that our world has known. But times change. Those evangelists, they live their life and their time is over and a new time has come. But God's hand has been in work in our past. We can read it through the, the history of the Old Testament and through how the Spirit came alive in the new. And we can see how God's hand is every present back then as it was today. God is still creating. He still creates each and every one of us for a purpose. But we have to be obedient to his call to fulfill those purposes. Think of people like Esther. The question is asked, well, maybe you were made for such a time as this. Perhaps. We don't know. And so these people back in Haggai's day. They were called for a purpose. And their purpose was to return to the land and establish the second temple period that would fulfill the prophecies that we know of that led to the Messiah. It is amazing how important this one generation is for the timeline of God's salvation history. You also have to remember to think, where am I in his timeline? What has he called me to do? What has he called me to do to be obedient? And there's an interesting thing about this book. We can actually date it. And so in the second year of Darius, if we look at it, is August 29th, 520 B.C. 
we have a date. It wasn't dated like that because they didn't use our dates like we do today. But we can date these oracles. If you have a study Bible, it'll probably tell you. If you have a more modern translation that uh, leans towards understanding versus being literal, it may even say it in your book. But this prophet is anchored very literally in history, dated to when he was called, dated to when the people heard, and dated to when the people responded. So as the story goes in, in uh, verse 7, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hill and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you builds or each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and on the grain. And the new wine and the new oil on what the ground brings forth on man and on beasts and all their labors. Go up to the hills and do what you were sent here to do, the Lord of hosts says. Get busy about the work that I've called you back to this place. The place that I've sent you with all the resources that you need. And you will get what you need for your own life. It's about placing your priorities. And so the people had returned to the land with intent to rebuild the house of the Lord to establish his kingdom for the world and for the nations to see. But they had not yet busied themselves with the symbols of this world. Because we look for these holy places. We look for a place to see where God dwells. We are very literal people. We like to see with our eyes. Our eyes of faith don't stick out very well, but our eyes see what is in the land. The material. We are material people. God wants the symbol of him to be seen to the nations. He doesn't want just the, the benevolence of the Persians to be seen. That sent this little small band of rebels back home to rebuild a temple. He wants the world to see what he was about to do. And he needed a place. He needed a house for them to see it at. But he also needed a place so he could destroy it later. Think about that. 70 A.D. after Jesus' time had passed. The Jews still were thinking about themselves, thinking about what it was. And the Romans had enough of this troublemaking people, and they laid to waste that house. Has it been rebuilt today? No. We have a wailing wall, if you go to modern-day Israel, where you can put little prayers on pieces of paper and place it in the very foundations of this structure that we're talking about today. But it has not been rebuilt as a temple because God has sent His Holy Spirit to dwell in each and every one of our hearts. He has made you all temples of God, all carriers of this presence in the world. But the time for that had not yet come. He needed a place. He needed an obedient people so a place could be established, so that the prophecies could be filled, and that it could be filled with the glory of God that was yet to come. He needed an obedient people to hear his command. And he called them. It says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of uh, this guy and Joshua, the son of another guy, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord, their God, had sent him. 
And the people feared the Lord. Feared the Lord. They weren't scared for their own lives. But they were now called into the presence of the holy. And they weren't a holy people. Their righteousness was not ever present because they had sought their own ambition. That original sin that we see in the garden where you seek your own instead of God. They were guilty of sin, just as each and every one of us are today. But they heard the voice of the Lord, spoken through his servants. And he goes on and says, says, I, I, am, the Lord, declare, I, am, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, on the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. They heard the Lord, they were reminded of what they were called to, and they were obedient. Not just with lip service, but with the labor of their back. They went up to the hills to gather the cedar and the mountain and the wood and all that needs to take place. And they were fruitful. They heard the voice and they built. They built a structure. They built a structure with their meager, meager force. They weren't this grand city that they once were. They were a group of settlers. They were a group of pioneers in a way. They were a group that resettled a desolate land. And they heard and they were obedient. But let's listen to how the story goes on in chapter 2. It tells us this, In the seventh month of the 24th day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak to Zerubbabel the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not nothing to your eyes? Now, I think this is important for us today. They came and they rebuilt and they were obedient. But the glory days were gone for this generation. The house that they built was not this grand masterpiece that it was before. It was not this temple, temple that Solomon had built. It was rather shabby, shabby chic, you know. That's not really what you want in your church. For those who had saw it before, they wept because it wasn't what it was. And for those who had never seen it, were proud of what they had accomplished. They didn't realize that it wasn't what it was. It says, yet be strong. O Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant I have made with you. When you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, it says. Be strong, for I am with you. I was with you when you came out of Egypt. Now, were these people with them literally when they came out of Egypt? When were they in Egypt? I thought they were in Babylon. It's the wrong place, didn't it? No. When we talk about salvation history, we are teleported in time. 
We are brought to the time when God has done something in this world. We are taught, we are brought back to the time where the divine has crossed the barriers of our human existence. When those people of Israel were delivered and became a people out of the slavery in, in Egypt, you were there. When they crossed over that Red Sea and were preserved, you were there. And when we fast forward to the days of Jesus and Peter came out and walked on water, you were there. When he went to the Mount of Golgotha and our Christ took the pain of sin upon his back and his hands were nailed to that tree, you were there. But you were also there when the stone was rolled away. When the women came out and they said, it is our Lord, he is risen, you were there. You were there on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came down. And he flooded the room and they all began to speak in tongues. So that each in this town that crucified our Lord could hear in their own language the gospel proclaimed in their heart language. Not interpreted through a mediary, but directly spoken to their heart. For what had taken place was revealed to the people, and thousands came to know the Lord that day. You were there. You were there when your great-great-great-grandfather or grandmother came to know the Lord. You were there because you have taken part of this great salvation history. You were there when the preachers came, or the evangelists are the Sunday school teachers, are the vacation Bible school workers, or the kid camp leader. You were there because you have inherited a faith in the gospel. You were there because the word of the Lord travels through time and space to call you out for a purpose. But he doesn't just stop here. He goes on to declare at the end, in verse 9, it says, The later glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. For this place that they had just built will house that history that the Messiah will come into. But then on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches his, the fold, uh, fold of bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. And then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with the nation before me, declares the Lord. So, it, so with every work of their hand and what they offer there is unclean. He brought out this point in obedience. We can do things, but not for the reasons that we should. We can do things out of guilt. We can do things out of pride. We can do things out of a sense of tradition. We can do things because it was my father who did them. So now I do them. 
It was the same as the past as it is today. So I ask, why do you do the things you do? Were you one of the ones that God created with a purpose to rebuild this temple? Or were you one of the ones that just came out of duty, out of sense, out of pride? Why do you come? Did you come back to establish your own house? Because now that was a time that you could rebuild a name for yourself. You had an opportunity. You had that pioneer spirit to build something that you had no chance of in the place that you called home, in the place that you were raised. So why did you come? If you carry what is holy with you, by its mere presence does it make everything else holy? If you carry a Bible in your pocket, in your backpack, on your phone, does carrying that Bible make you religious? Does attending church make you holy and right? Does leading Bible studies do the same? The answer is no. Proximity to what is holy does not make you holy. But proximity to evil corrupts and corrupts in totality. So the Lord said to the people, through that prophet, to today, if what you carry is holy, keep it so. But if you're here out of any other reason than to worship God or to seek for forgiveness or to find your place, if you're here out of pride, if you're here even to make someone happy that you attended church, it says you're not here to build this house. Before you lay a stone, it says, consider why you're here. If it's because you are indeed a sinner and you have felt the overweight, overwhelming weight of the burden of sin because you know that the only just punishment for how you lived your life is eternal punishment. Guess what? I've got good news for you. For Jesus Christ came when the appointed time was right. He came and he lived a normal life, the son of a humble carpenter. And he lived a life that we should follow because he lived a perfect life. He was rooted in the faith of the ancestors of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. And he was taught the scriptures as a child. And he committed those to memory. And when he entered into his ministry... He used those scriptures, those teachings that his father Joseph and Mary had taught him so that he could withstand the temptations of the devil, that he could not let pride come before his God. And he did all these things, and he gave us an example. Not only that, when he lived here, he showed us signs that we could know he was who he said he was. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He gave sight to the blind. He gave voices to the mute so that they could proclaim the mercies and grace of God. And he took the punishment you deserve on his back. And he defeated death. And he says, if you want to join me, you pick up your cross and you follow me. And if you do, I will send you into all of the world, proclaiming the good news that salvation has come today to this house. So, if you want to build your own house, you're outside of God's house. That's what these people did. They returned home to build their own houses. 
But God said, build mine, and I will bring you with me. And that is how they did. He said, but from this day on, I will bless you. You obedient ones, you who put the house of God before your own. I will bless you, declares the Lord. And so as we consider these matters, I ask you, do our choices really matter in life? If you've heard this message and you say, no, they don't. Everything is laid out before me. I have no choices in the matter. Then you've misunderstood. Because we are all called. We are all purposed in life. And we are to do the work of God has laid out before us. But the unclean cannot build a foundation, for it will corrupt. It is only the holy and righteousness that can build a foundation that will last. You want to be holy? There is a plan for that. It is to come before our Lord Jesus Christ and humbly confess your sins to him. And ask for forgiveness, and he will forgive you. Doesn't matter if you sin a little or sin a lot. You are not beyond God's forgiveness. But he asks something in return. He asks that you follow him this day and this day forward. And you build the house of the Lord. Not one of panel. But you build what he has placed before you. That you follow him down the road you are to go. It means putting God before yourself. It means following a path that may not be easy. It means doing things that will put you in harm's way. But this life is but a blip in the timeline of eternity. So where would you rather be? In paradise or suffering for the penalty of your own life? So consider these things as we leave here today and join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the gift of grace. Lord, we can try and try as we will. And we can try to build our own house and establish our own ways. But Lord, without you, we are nothing. We are lost. We are just beating our head against the rock. But you have called us and you have purposed us and you have given us a way that we may pursue you because you took the pain of our sin upon your back and you gave us life and eternal life everlasting. And you have called us to go into the world so that others may hear this good news, that this gospel, and that we may be obedient because we don't know what you will use our life for. We don't know if what we will build will look shabby compared to the way it was in the past. We don't know if we'll only stay the size we are as a congregation. But we do know that even through small beginnings, you can domino the power of what takes place because you have created all and you know all. And you have given us a purpose to be your children. And if we are simply obedient to your call, 
you will bless us for today and all the days for the rest of our life. Lord, we are so thankful for this gift. Teach us to follow your ways. It's in your name we pray, amen. And now as we enter our time of invitation, if you have been hearing God's call in your life and have never surrendered your life to it, and you are ready to do so today, come forward. If you have been following God for some time, but you have not been doing what He has called you to do, and you're ready to surrender your life to His call, come forward and tell everyone else about it. Maybe you're simply of need of prayer today. Please come forward.